Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. That's Peter Sherman. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. It is 819, 819 on Counterpoint. And uh, our panel tonight consists of uh, people who ordinarily inhabit these parts on this night. One is Anthony Fury. You know him well. Sun Post Media columnist, national comment editor. Hi, Anthony. Friday, good sir. Yes, it's, it's a good Friday, good sir. But it's not good Friday. But uh, good to have you aboard. Good to talk to you again. And Bob Richardson's with us, senior counsel at National Public Relations. How you doing, Bob? Peter, how are you? I'm great. Well, we're all great, and it is Friday, and it's a lovely weekend looking ahead. Let's talk about some of the things that happened in the week that we're just putting behind us. And the thing I want to start with is, uh, yesterday, the Liberals uh, made a play by releasing a 15-year-old video of a very young, 25 years old, as a matter of fact, Andrew Scheer, making a speech in which he's dissing gay marriage, which was being debated at the time, neglecting, of course, as he did Ralph Goodale, to say that liberals had uh, engaged in similar debates in years gone by where they had been anti-gay marriage, and weren't we all once upon a time? So I don't know if it's particularly relevant, but uh, I don't want to talk about that so much, as I want to talk about something that happened today, which is in a this is my editorializing in a in a great quest to be relevant jugmeet singh said the ndp would not were at the balance of power holder prop up a sheer minority government due to the quote disgusting unquote gay marriage speech what do you think of that bob well first of all i think it's bizarre for a federal leader to be throwing in the towel before the writ is issued uh usually leaders of part of parties uh, say that, you know, we're we're going to field candidates and we've got a chance of winning and blah, blah, blah. We didn't even go through any of those formalities, so that's weird. I think, look, the truth of the matter is it would be very difficult for the NDP of today to support a sheer government. They're offside with them on climate change. They're pretty much, I think, offside with them on some immigration issues. They're offside on a lot of economic policy. They're certainly off, uh, offside with Andrew Scheer in terms of uh, LGBTQ issues, so on and so forth. So it would be pretty tough for him to support uh, a sheer government in any, uh, in any regard. So I'm not overly surprised about that. I just thought the timing of it was very bizarre. I can't really disagree with any of that, but I'm going to go to Anthony and and put it this way. Anthony, you and I both know from a political perspective that it is in nobody's interest if there's a minority government operating, and that's a big if right now. If there's a minority government operating and you happen to be Jagmeet Singh or anybody in a secondary party, and that's what the NDP is these days, where... Uh, the the minority uh, part, the minority government. Uh, let's let's suppose it's under Andrew Scheer, doesn't try to craft a legislative agenda that somehow or other can pull you into the tent. Am I correct on that? Well, I, I find it bizarre in a number of ways because I want to go to another thing that was brought up this week. People were uh, commemorating the anniversary of the death of Jack Layton, and we can tie many of these things together. True. For instance, on LGBT issues, Jack was uh, ahead of the curve before I think even a lot of NDP people were. Another thing uh, that he did quite wisely is every time Jack Layton campaigned, 
he said, I'm looking forward to winning a stable majority. And that was back in, you know, very early, I think his first race in, in, as a leader, like 2005 or something like that, when it was clearly not viable. But he said it anyway. Well, not only that, he got as close as any NDP guy ever has. Well, there you go. And it eventually, his confidence about all of that brought him into opposition. And Jack was the one who, who really got the talking point going among NDP circles that, look, if we do end up holding the balance of power, we will be proud to have pushed whatever parties in office uh, to bring in certain pieces of legislation. And you, you will hear to this day the NDP will say, oh, I know this liberal or that conservative government did X, Y, Z, but really it's because we made them do it. So Jugme clearly doesn't understand uh, some of the finer points out there. Say you're going to win the darn election, and then if you don't, prop up whichever party is you know most viable and get stuff from them. In other words, use your negotiating chip, if you have it, and stop sitting here in August and saying, well, we're definitely not a contender. So if there happens to be a sheer minority, we won't be there because he's disgusting. And that's before you get into the whole issue, Bob, of whether or not there's anything disgusting about having debated that way back then. Because I think it's, it's a moot point. Well, number one, I, I would like to play poker with this guy um, because uh, I think that would be a very quick game. Uh, I, I just can't believe he gave away the store before the writ even got dropped. It's just very bizarre. And my sense is that a number of the senior um, experienced NDP campaigners are just not around this time. And there doesn't right. seem to be what I would call adult supervision. Uh, you don't see the Kathleen monks. You don't see a variety of different people out there with this guy. Uh, I think he has a very ex- inexperienced team, a very young team. Uh, and, uh, you know, unless something turns around, I don't think this is going to end very well. Is this thing going to break wide open soon or, or, or is it, Anthony? It's got to at some point, but it seems like the lowest level campaign uh, that I can remember. You know, it can just continue to fizzle along. Although, as I wrote in my last weekend column in The Suns, the one thing where Jagmeet Singh can can really shine on is calling Justin Trudeau out for his progressive bona fides. Now, Andrew Shearer said, oh, Trudeau is a fake feminist and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a lot of progressives, they go, I don't need to hear that from Andrew Shearer. I'm I'm not going to, I don't care what he has to say on that matter. But when Trudeau does his virtue signaling and says he's the one to stand up for women and LGBT rights and he's the great champion of minorities, mm-hmm. on the debate stage, is Jagmeet Singh going to stand tall and, and chuckle at Trudeau for saying and saying, really? You, buddy? You, white male of privilege? Give me a break. I'm that guy. And that could be his shining moment. And I think that's, that there's going to be a moment where he has to decide whether he stands tall, tall and sort of takes the progressive conch. I don't know if he's going to do it, though. Okay. Let me uh, switch gears and uh, tell you a little story from today. You probably uh, caught wind of it. There's a go transit bus driver who was removed from service in Toronto after he uh, drove a bus full of people from Brampton. This is a go bus again. Uh, he had to undergo an alcohol test because a woman passenger said, hey, something's not right, and she reported it. And uh, he was removed as, obviously, uh, if he did as alleged, he should have been. Now, some people are arguing about putting breathalyzers in 
private vehicles being an impingement on people's rights. I can understand there being a debate about that. Can you make that argument um, reasonably when it comes to commercial vehicles? Should we have some kind of an interlock in things like go buses or trains or taxis or maybe even Ubers or transport trucks since this is about everybody's safety or are we being too nanny statist if we do this? Let me start with you, Anthony. You know what? I do not think there's an argument for that, for for buses or anything like that. Uh, In the case of someone who has been a repeat offender and they decide maybe we should do that for this person's vehicle and there's one specific court order, that's fine. I I will say I think this is one of those stories where we see something and we say there ought to be a law, there ought to be something to prevent this and whatnot. The system worked. A passenger felt empowered to make a phone call and say, what's going on? Uh, This one case, we don't hear a lot of it. This person was then pulled over. They didn't get too far. Unfortunately, people drink and drive. Unfortunately, people uh, show up drunk at work. And this was uh, an overlap between the two. I haven't really heard of this happening much before. So it's really unfortunate it happened. It put people in danger, but it was dealt with. Bob, where do you come down on this? Should we be looking at interlocks or some kind of device? Or uh, is Anthony correct, this worked and, and we leave well enough alone? I think uh, uh, technology is progressing um, sufficiently that this could be in vehicles, um, let's say over the next five to ten years. And I don't think necessarily that's a bad thing. Uh, I think 99% of our folks in uh, the TTC and other major transit operators are, are good. But if there's one or two percent that aren't and we prevent them from getting on the road and we save lives, I don't think that's a bad thing. All right. CCTV cameras in Toronto as uh, a part of the puzzle to get at the uh, guns and the gangs. We'll talk about that when we come back. We have to take a break now. Anthony Fury from The Sun, Bob Richardson from National Public Relations are the panel. And I'm Peter Sherman right here on Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Peter Sherman for Alex at 833 on Global News Radio, and we're back on Counterpoint and our guests on the panel, Anthony Fury, Sun Post Media columnist, National Comment Editor, and Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations, both of them the regulars on Friday evening. Uh, we've been watching uh, the, I, I would call it a dance, and I started the show talking about this today, uh, the, uh, I guess, release of some dollars to do this and some dollars to do that as we again face the issue of guns and gangs in Toronto. And a couple of weeks ago it was, let's raise $4.5 million from three levels of government and hand it over to Chief Saunders and he'll put more boots on the ground in trouble areas. And then more recently, as in yesterday, it was Doug Ford and Mayor Tory and $3 million coming from the province so that we could take uh, 34 video cameras and turn it into 74 cameras within three years. And I said this evening, you know what? You really want to target this thing. You really want to do something. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. Either of those things, they're, they're both little pieces of the puzzle. The biggest single piece of the puzzle that nobody seems to want to grapple with from my perspective is you need to reestablish Tavis, which was after all in 2006 established specifically because we had a heavy duty summer full of gun violence at the hands of, uh, of gangs just like this. Now it's 2019 and we have approximately a hundred street gangs. They don't care where you put your cameras. They don't care whether their guns are legal. And if you take their guns away, they'll go get other ones. 
we, we're not doing this right. I, I believe that what the answers are, are a new form of carding that uh, is not discriminatory in the sense that anybody felt it was in the last iteration of it. And I believe that Tavis has to be reestablished. Now, is that just me or can I get some agreement here on the panel? Let's start with you, Anthony. I agree with you on that, Peter. All the things we've heard so far are piecemeal tinkering at the edges, a gun buyback program, potential handgun ban, putting up these cameras, uh, programs for, for youth, for employment and education. Great. I guess it'll stop an 11-year-old from, uh, you know, falling off the tracks when he's 18, seven years from now. That doesn't help with the current problem. Yes, I think we need to deal with Tavis. We need to bring back carding in some way. Uh, when we've talked about carding during the previous public debate about it, I mean, there's been a, a lack of, a lack of awareness that part of what that is is just building dossiers, going out into the streets, talking to people, figuring out who these gang people are, connecting the dots. And it's a little something called good old-fashioned police work. And I think we just need to be doing more policing and empowering the police to do it. And if there's a bit of funding and resources issues, so be it. And then to your point, Peter, look at the ways where there were people who were unfairly targeted in it and and weed that out of it go but go back to letting cops be cops well i got you know you you're uh echoing me and you're quite correct when you underscore the issue of uh let's make sure that we address if we go back to i'll call them street stops rather than carting because they're fairly commonplace in police work just not in toronto anymore because we had a, a racialized situation going on or at least the perception of one and that was enough to stop it i think that kind of a of a thing can be reestablished in a way where people are treated fairly. And I think it's an absolute essential, particularly in areas where we're seeing the, uh, the violence occur. And we are the fourth largest city, after all, in North America. Do we have to have uh, a more concerted approach? And do we, uh, is it time to admit that the complexity of this thing and the growth of the gang situation is such that we have to look at these measures, Bob Richardson? Well, number one, I think, uh, the, the, the announcements strike me, and I think I agree with Anthony, is kind of penny-ante stuff. And Can you explain to me why it takes three years to put up 40 cameras? Hell, I like, don't know. I think if you had the right technicians, you could do it in about three weeks. Yeah, well, that's what it, you know, if this is really the big uh, issue that it is, and it requires bringing out the premier and the mayor and the chief, and we've got to do a big announcement and everything, they're going to roll it out over three years, and it's 40 cameras? It should be done in three days. Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand that. Uh, the amounts of money look very small to me. I mean, the police budget is a billion-dollar budget in the city of Toronto, and we're talking about $4.5 million and $3 million, I think, uh, there. I mean, I think we should be doubling the size and scope of the gun, Guns and Gangs unit. I think we should be doing that. I do not agree with you on carding. Uh, I do not think it was uh, terribly well run, and I have zero confidence that it will be well run if it was implemented again. And uh, uh, to me, I just don't think that's uh, where I would like to go. But I'd like to see a lot more resources put into the guns and gangs unit, and I'd like to see us move on these other things much faster than we are. But we don't have a guns and gangs unit per se. We had one. It was called Tavis, and it was paid for, Bob, by the provincial government. I'm just telling you that I think we do have units within the city of Toronto police that are working yeah. on the guns and gangs uh, issue. I think we need to give them more resources, and I think it needs to be 
much bigger. That is where a lot of our crime is uh, is occurring, and it strikes me that it makes sense to put a lot more resources there. Um, I, as I said, I disagree with you on, on the carding issue and the other stuff. We ought to be doing a whole lot faster. No, that's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back to Anthony one more time because I I take your point on disagreeing with the carding issue. Can carding be done, Anthony, in a way where we don't wind up with the ramifications that were attached to it back then? And I think that's what's troubling Bob, and I understand it. Uh, well. You know, it was interesting that people managed, activists managed to get it framed as it was a program to stop a young black men was how it was discussed. My experience of being carted about six times in my late teens and early 20s, and I am... Well, you're a suspicious a character, though. Well, there you go. I'm a Caucasian gentleman. I wasn't wearing suits as often as I am now. So, you know, that tells you two things, that there were a lot of white people or Asian people or what have you walking around Toronto being carted. Second of all, I was not committing any crime, but I was being carted, so... I mean, that tells me that they were not spending their time as wisely as they could have, because ideally you're going to have a pretty good success ratio, whereas really you're using the program as a pretext for saying, I, I know I know for sure this guy's a member of such and such gang, and I want to be able to build a dossier on him, and here's where we're going to stop him. I don't know why people who seem to be more just kind of regular beat cops were stopping me in a neighborhood that, you know, was not all that great, which I, you know, walked through from the subway to get to the more middle-class home I lived in uh, growing up. But I, I'm not too sure what the, what they were thinking they were doing there. They stopped and they say, oh, we're looking for someone who's fit your description who just committed a crime. And you really, I think that's kind of dubious and so forth. And then you pass the information over anyway. So I, I just think it was kind of sloppy. And I don't know why we need to even give it a term like carding or, to your point, street checks. I mean, it, it's it's police doing investigations, building files, building dossiers. They can still do some of that now uh, without following any sort of rules. But if they want to bring in a new rule system, I, I think they need to clean it up because I think the fact that there were a lot of uh, young black men who were, were thought to be in gangs and just weren't, and they were tired of being constantly uh, constantly carded, and quite frankly, I found it nu- uh, a nuisance to be bothered five or six times uh, over the course of several years. It wasn't a big deal, but still, when you know you didn't do anything. Okay, we're going to leave it at that subject at that, and I've got about 90 seconds left, but I want to get an opinion from uh, each of you. You know the story of uh, Jack Letts, Jihadi Jack, as they call him, lives or lived in uh, the UK and has parents who live in the UK. The UK has said, you're not coming Coming back, Jihadi Jack, you're staying in uh, a Syrian jail, or you can go back to Canada where you hold citizenship. The guy's never lived in Canada. And uh, Jack Letts Sr., the father, is saying that Andrew Shear is passing the buck because he says he doesn't want any part of it. Is Andrew Shear correct on this, Bob Richardson, or should we be letting or entertaining the idea uh, of having Jihadi Jack come to Canada? Well, number one, this guy is a fake Canadian because uh, he's not really, uh, he's never lived here. In fact, he made the comment that he visited here once or twice and he thought it was kind of nice. That's true. This is um, on my list of priorities. This is a number 737, and I would hope that we get to it in the year 2053. Well, you've been pretty clear about that, Anthony. I completely agree with Bob in all of this. You know, I, I think when we're dealing with, uh, you know, Omar Qadar getting his payout, Jihadi Jack become a priority, but we see what happened to Vice Admiral Mark Norman and so forth. Where are our priorities? And I appreciate Trudeau is not making a Jihadi Jack a priority, and I really hope he doesn't. 
uh, in all of this. I mean, yeah, I'm with Bob. To, if, if they call and say we're going to transfer them over, we can just conveniently uh, put an out-of-office reply in when that comes in. Let it be written that on this day, Anthony Fury and Bob Richardson agreed. And thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> Appreciate your participation and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks. Thank you. All right. It is 842 on Global News Radio. I am Peter Sherman in for Alex Pearson. And that, of course, was Counterpoint with Anthony Fury and Bob Richardson, the latter of National Public Relations, the former of the uh, Toronto Sun, Post Media, actually, newspapers, National Comment Editor. And um, I'll be back in just a couple of moments right here at Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.